0: The Profile You're listening to Premier Christian Radio. Well, hello and welcome along to The Profile with me, Justin Briley. This is the weekly show which brings you an interesting interview with a Christian in some walk of faith and life and brought to you as usual in association with Premier Christianity magazine, where you can find more interviews with people from all walks of life. Uh, Find your free sample copy at premierchristianity.com slash free sample. Well, today I'm talking to Brian Broderson, who's the senior pastor of Calvary Chapel Costa Mesa in California, the church which launched the Calvary Chapel network of churches in the USA and across the world under the leadership of uh, Chuck Smith, who passed away in 2013. Well, Brian, who happens to be the son-in-law of Chuck, has been involved in church leadership and planting himself since soon after his conversion himself as a young surfer dude in 1983. Uh, That included planting and leading Calvary Chapel Westminster in London for several years, and establishing Creation Fest, which is an outreach festival that takes place in the West Country and Scotland each summer. Brian's daily Bible teaching programme, Back to Basics, is broadcast on stations around the world, including here on Premier Christian Radio. So welcome along to the programme, Brian. Great to be here, Justin. Uh, you'll be a familiar voice to many Premier Christian Radio listeners, but perhaps those on podcast may not be so familiar who are listening that way to the profile today. Um, yeah, you came to the UK not long after Premier Christian Radio had just got going, really, didn't you?
1: Yeah, as a matter of fact, I think my first connection with uh, Premier was in, in 1995, and I think maybe just a year or two, you guys had
0: well, we we started in 95, so that 95? would have been right when we began. Okay, yeah, yeah. So. yeah, I got it on the ground
1: ground <laughs> level. Um, yes, I did. You know, I, I came and there was this, um, you know, plan to come and, and do a church plan. And I had done radio in the U.S. for years. And uh, so a, a mutual friend was friends with... Uh, you would probably remember David Heron, Mm. and so got me in touch with David, we had a conversation, I told him I had a radio program, and the next thing I knew we were uh, broadcasting you with go. you, yeah, back yes, in 95. David
0: Heron was for for a number of years the chairman of Raid, Premier yeah. Christian Radio and and so your program has been broadcasting more or less ever since then, yeah. Back to Basics, yeah. which is essentially your preaching kind of segmented yeah. into, into a kind of radio format. Yeah, exactly. And, and that's mm-hmm. not just broadcast here in the UK either, is it? It's, right, right. It's yeah. Yeah, yeah. Stations. yeah, now of course with uh, the internet, it's worldwide, but we're on a, a number of stations throughout the yeah. US as well. Um I want to talk to you about calvary chapel obviously uh, about your role there about the history uh, but let's start with your history uh, yeah. first of all um you haven't always been a christian so right. tell, tell us about growing up and what the environment uh, was
1: yeah i grew up in the the southern california surf culture which um if, if people don't know what that is it's kind of a you know very hedonistic uh type of a <laughs> lifestyle and it's all it was you know back in those days the the 70s, pretty much the 70s. Um, it was kind of you know, sex, drugs, rock and roll, and mm. of course, surf was at the top of the list. Actually, yeah. so yeah, so grew up in that kind of environment, um, just living you know the party life and, and all of that. And
0: did you uh, have any kind of Christian influences growing? Up? You know,
1: I I was raised a, as a Roman Catholic, right? But it was fairly early on that I mm. jettisoned that, you know, and just decided who who needs that, you know, mm-hmm. so. Um, By the time I came around to having some kind of interest in the things of God, I was pretty far removed from any kind of a church experience. How did you get into the surfing lifestyle? (laughs) The surfing lifestyle? You know, um, I I think I was 12 or 13 years old, and surfing was just a cool thing, you know? So (laughs) if you would see a, a, a... you know, maybe a movie with surfers in it or whatever and of course they had all the cute girls, so you're like, Man, I wanna I wanna be one of those, <laughs> you know. So I think at the ripe old age of, of twelve I, I got myself a surfboard
0: and started surfing. You were like a beach boy. Yeah, uh, exactly. It, 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 that was the kind of that was the it, vibe. Yeah. That's yeah. it. Yeah. And and did you envisage that as possibly even a career as a kind of no? A, back a, a in those days, mind. you know, now nowadays, of course, uh, professional surfing is huge all mm.
1: over the world. People mm. make you know multi millions of yeah. dollars being professional yeah. surfers. We we were sole surfers in those days. Yeah. It was actually before the era of professional surfing. Really, yeah. I mean, there were a handful of guys that did, you know, two sort of contests a year. One at Waimea Bay with thirty foot waves, and one at Pipeline with twenty yeah. five foot waves. That was that was about the extent of it. I mean, Back would, then.
0: would you have said you were pretty good? Well, <laughs> <Does it depend laughs> I want to be as, as modest <laughs> as I can here. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Uh, people would say I was a good surfer. I wasn't a great surfer, uh-huh.
0: but I was a good surfer. Well, <laughs> I'm barely able to stand up for the few times I've tried it. So anyone who can do that is, is good in yeah. my book. But um, I mean, okay. So you were, you were living this surfer lifestyle yeah. and that went with, it, as you say, kind of it, you, you. the lifestyle involved sex, drugs and yeah. rock and roll. Yeah. Um so what what was someone involved in that lifestyle how did they eventually bump yeah. into Christ
1: Well you know at the, at the time um this whole Jesus people thing was kind of going on it's mm. sort of right around me and and I did my best to avoid it I didn't you know there were hippies And I didn't really like hippies. I I wasn't a hippie, I didn't wanna be a hippie. I was a little Mm. younger than most hippies Mm. anyway. Mm. So they they sort of freaked me out, and I thought somehow in my um, juvenile way of thinking back then, I I just somehow thought that, well, you know, to be a Jesus person, you gotta be a hippie. (laughs) And I, I kind of like the Jesus message, but I didn't like the hippie part of it. So yeah. I I did my best to stay away. You know, and back in those days, there was a a big tent set up at Calvary Chapel, and everybody talked about the tent. And everybody and their brother tried to get me to go to the tent, and yeah. I thought I am i i got a good catholic church in town if i want to go to church that's where i'm going i'm not going to a tent <laughs> so,
0: so i did my best to, to stay away i mean this kind of introduces us to the whole phenomenon that was the yeah. the, the calvary chapel uh movement and and the the jesus people movement of yeah. the 60s and 70s right and and At the epicenter of that was chuck smith and this church that he had suddenly experienced this explosion of evangelism and conversion as all these kind of folks from the kind of 60s hippie era started to find christ basically and kind of swapped the psychedelic drugs for the holy spirit kind of thing so so you obviously kind of were vaguely aware of this this situation obviously since then you've learned a lot more i imagine about about how that all happened and why it happened
1: yeah Yeah, and and now, you know, with hindsight, I think everybody recognizes that that was um, a a revival, really, you know, an outpouring, an awakening, Mm, whatever you want to call it. It it was really extraordinary because, you know, I I grew up my whole life in Southern California. And like I said, you know, having a Roman Catholic background, moving away from that early on, uh, church, Jesus, the gospel, that was the farthest thing from anybody's mind. But then suddenly, there's all these people walking around talking about Jesus Mm. and – and, you know, I I had no, um, you know, context to put it in back then. I just – and Jesus Freaks was mm, the mm. label that
0: yeah. everybody gave yeah. those people because it just seemed like a really freaky yeah. thing. And and in a way, it kind of it had elements of the sort of hippie lifestyle in as much as people were quite often setting up communes to yeah. kind of go back to that kind of early church living yeah. kind of way of doing things. It was all about – the guitars and the, yeah. the influx the explosion really of a new kind of yeah. contemporary christian music really that that, yeah. that birth and that was all radically new at the time wasn't yeah, it
1: yeah it was and it, you know it really it really overlapped with it and it kind of was born out of the whole countercultural movement mm. so a lot of these uh, young people who were you know very gifted artistically very talented musically uh, when they came to Jesus, they just took all of that energy and all that talent and mm. just channeled it toward worshiping and, and really proclaiming the gospel. You know, the uh, Christian music back in those days was more sort of gospel proclamation versus... Uh, worship, You know, today yeah. most Christian music is, is worship-based, which is fine, but back in those days, y- you know, you got a guitar, you yeah, wrote a yeah. song about how Jesus saved you, and you went out on the pier, and you stood up and you played and sang and preached.
0: And, uh, and why did Chuck Smith and Calvary Chapel kind of become the epicenter for seeing people come to Christ in this movement? Well,
1: I, I think with hindsight it was basically because Chuck was open to it, mm-hmm. and where many of the churches were not open to it. And um, Chuck, as you mentioned earlier, was my father-in-law, uh, my mother-in-law, Kay, uh, very curious person, very brilliant woman. She was fascinated with hippies. She just mm. just wanted to know um, why they were the way they were. So she had this sort of obsession, like, Chuck, we've got to meet these mm, hippie mm, kids. And mm. um, so they finally met a hippie. His name was Lonnie Frisbee. And what a great name, by the way. <laughs> yeah, that's <laughs> right. And, you know, Lonnie was one of those guys who just had a unique anointing upon his life. I mean, everywhere he went, he led people to Christ. Uh, he kind of looked like Jesus, and he was really, you know, happy to look mm. like Jesus, mm. or at least, you know, how we would think <laughs> Jesus looked. Um, and and so it was, through, it was through Lonnie's connection with Chuck that— um, this evangelism explosion really began to take place, you know. So I think what a lot of people don't realize, you know, they they sort of assume that uh, – and we've heard this. This is kind of a myth in the Calvary Chapel movement that uh, sort of, you know, build it and they will come. So mm-hmm. Chuck one day just stood up, opened a Bible, and decided to teach <laughs> expositionally, and then – Thousands of hippies came. It didn't quite work that way. Um, The the hippies that came to Christ, they were evangelists. They would turn Mm. right around and go right back to where Mm. they were, and they would share the gospel with people, and they would bring them. So the church
0: started filling up that way with young people. I'm sure it was a a crazy, messy, but kind of very life-giving time uh, and and almost goes down in history as a kind of almost once in a lifetime generation yeah. kind of experience
1: yeah and I, I think more than ever now we are realizing how extraordinary those those yeah. days were you know they really were unique and and there's still many and, you know and, good and things it, happening. it kind of
0: spread around the world you know the uk had its own kind yeah. of jesus people movement my parents were part of that that i yeah. can trace my own faith lineage if you like through yeah. through to that so so it's yeah. it's had all kinds of effects around yeah the world.
1: and as i've traveled and you know whether it's here or you know australia south africa there's always a group of people that will say yeah at that time Mm. this is what was happening here yes yeah Yeah.
0: i mean we'll we'll talk about chuck obviously more in the course of of today's program because because that's an important part of your story but coming back to you and and you were kind of not that (laughs) enthusiastic about this whole hippie, <laughs> right, right, yeah. Jesus freaks kind of culture. Yeah. So so <laughs> what, what finally managed to yeah. get you across the threshold well, of the church? Well, you know, actually what happened is that the hippie thing sort of passed. Okay. You know, so
1: the, the time kind of came and went, and, and now there was still a lot going on, but it just, the hippies were now just sort of a thing of the past. And I, and I was still uh, just a lost young guy with a with a massive hole in my heart, you know, mm-hmm. empty. And... Uh, kind of just trying to figure out life, wondering what you know what what is really the purpose of life, mm. and the Lord just began uh, again with hindsight. I didn't realize it at the time, but God by the Spirit was just working on me personally, and I was coming under conviction. I, I just knew the life that I was living. Nobody was preaching to me necessarily. Mm. I just knew that mm. this life was uh, unacceptable to God. And I, I just kind of had this idea that, you know, somehow there must be a God, and I need to find out mm. who that God is. Because, you know, at the at the ripe age of, you know, 19, 20 years old, I, I was fairly um, disillusioned with life already.
0: Already? Um, yeah. The, the, the lifestyle was not all it was cracked up to be exactly
1: yeah Yeah. you know i was you know like we mentioned surfing i actually did music i played in some bands played in hollywood had friends that went on to get record contracts and things and so i thought that was the way to go and but you know you know how it is you everything you you strive for you think this is Mm going to be the thing Mm -hmm. oh you know Mm -hmm. that when Mm -hmm. i get this then i am going to be happy Mm -hmm. and fulfilled Mm -hmm. and complete
0: and it just it didn't happen and and that's maybe even more the case in a place like la which which is kind of filled with yeah. people looking for this or that's right next you know big thing and the, yeah. the solution to life and, and everything yeah, yeah, else
1: yeah and and i lived in um sort of you know, the suburbs of LA. Orange County is a mm. separate county, mm. but uh, but all of my friends and I, we gravitated toward Hollywood. So yeah. we, we used to go to the clubs in Hollywood, we'd go see the bands, we'd go dance, you know, yeah. we'd do all of the Hollywood stuff. Uh, all of, my cousin said to me one time, cause he asked me what I wanted to do. And it was always like, you know, I was a movie star, rock star, you know, something like that. He said, well, <laughs> how about like, w- what about like being like a plumber or something? You know, I said, "Oh no, my that, friends and I- No one's they- a plumber
0: <laughs> in LA, no. <laughs> they're all rock right. stars and movie stars. That's a yeah. yeah, yeah. Or, or at least their are waitresses waiting to be yeah uh, trying a, to a, be an yeah. actress or whatever it's yeah so so that was kind of what eventually brought you into deciding yeah, yeah so, i'm going to check out this so church. for
1: me it was really um kind of a process of elimination with the spirit himself really bringing me along and um you know i had a series of supernatural kinds of experiences where um one of them was a dream that just literally rocked my world uh, to the point that I, when I woke up, I couldn't believe it was a dream. It Tell was us about so this real. dream. Well, it was a dream that that Jesus returned, and all I knew is that I was not ready for that event, and so, uh, you know, it was, it was quite frightening. Really, what I found out later is a lot of the details of the dream. Uh, are biblical details that I didn't know anything about at the time. So mm-hmm. later, reading the Bible and reading passages like, say, in the Book of Revelation, I thought, "Wow, this is this is describing that scene that I saw in my dream." So it was it was that dream that really got me uh, to seriously begin to consider what was happening in my own life. And then I had a friend who he had just signed. He and his band had just signed a record deal uh, up in L.A. and he was uh, he was suicidal. And so he was talking to me and, you know, yeah, we just signed this record deal, but I kind of feel like killing myself. And I, I said to him, I said, you know, don't do that. And and even though I wasn't actually saved looking back, I started sharing the gospel with him as wow. much as I knew it, because mm-hmm. I, I just knew at that point that God was the answer. Mm-hmm. Whatever that meant mm-hmm. exactly, I wasn't totally sure, but I knew that, you know, God was the answer. So his parents had been um they, they were catholics who had become charismatic catholics they had moved out of the area to arizona and i knew his parents well and i said to him i said you know what um go see your parents they can help you so sure enough he went to visit his parents and he became a christian wow and he became born again wow. that was the term and so he called me uh, from arizona and he said uh, you're right and you know that was everything you told me was true and I'm born again and so when did you get born again and I thought oh when did I get born again I don't even I don't know if I'm born again and I literally I was on the phone with him I literally dropped I said hold on I dropped the phone I said Jesus I want to be born again and I said yeah yeah I'm born again let's go so that was the beginning really you know that that was literally like my my crossing over the threshold you
0: know into a real active faith at that mm. point yeah. So you got involved with Calvary Chapel... At, I, got,
1: I got involved with Calvary, yeah. I had gone there actually a few times previously mm-hmm. over the years. You know, it was a place with tons and tons of young people mm-hmm. and quite frankly, lots of cute girls. So <laughs> I thought, um, I'll go see if I can find a nice Christian girl over there. You know, that never really worked out because I wasn't a Christian. But, uh, but, but I just sort of knew intuitively um, once I did become a Christian, I, I knew that I needed to know the Bible mm-hmm. and I knew that they taught the Bible at yeah. Calvary Chapel. So that was my draw there. That,
0: that has been a long time distinctive of calvary yeah. chapel the kind of very expositional exactly. bible teaching yeah which you might say well that's not the typical way a church attracts people by yeah. you know doing kind of in-depth bible teaching <laughs> you know you do the seeker sensitive thing you do yeah. the kind of you know this is how god can help you right. in your workplace life or something like that but yeah that's kind of just been what Chuck felt drawn to do, and what has continued to be the, the yeah. distinctive of Calvin. yeah, and
1: and you know, ironically, Chuck's greatest influence were all uh, you know British preachers from previous generations. Yeah. Yeah. You know, G. Campbell Morgan was his mm. favorite Bible yeah. expositor. Yeah. Of course, he turned me on to Spurgeon and to Campbell Morgan and to Lloyd Jones, and mm. you know, all of those great yeah. British voices from the past. So we we sort of modeled
0: our ministry after their preaching. Great, fantastic. So you you got involved um, and it was really quite early on, I guess that you met Cheryl uh, through yeah fairly through fairly jumping. early on, yeah, um, so I just you know once I made
1: that commitment, mm. I just jumped in with both feet, mm. you know so I, I started to go to church all the time it was a you know the church was kind of like a twenty four seven you could show up anytime and yeah, something yeah. was going on, so I would go to work during the day and i 'd come and attend the Bible studies and the different groups in the evening and um It was actually New Year's Day of 1980, so it was about a year later. Um, Some friends of mine and I, we were just hanging around, nothing to do on New Year's Day, everything kind of closes down early. And somebody said, oh, I wish we had a Bible study we could go to, and somebody else said, hey, I think I know where there's a Bible study happening tonight. Even though it's New Year's Day, they're probably still (laughs) doing it. And sure enough, we went, it was in the uh, home of uh, some young people. And uh, we went, there were a house full of young people and it was great. And uh, lo and behold, there was this really pretty girl there and I thought, oh, my, I wonder who she is. <laughs> so, you know, <laughs> Turned I— Turned out to be the head pastor's daughter. Yeah, so I, <laughs> I continued to attend the Bible study for a few weeks to meet her. But here's the funny thing. My friend, my best friend, was sort of like—Chuck was like, you know, in, in a good sense, Chuck was his idol. So yes. everything about Chuck yes. Smith he just yeah. absolutely loved. So, so he tells me, he says, Chuck Smith's daughter's at this Bible study. And I was like, well, okay, okay. I don't know who Chuck's Whoever daughter is, is yeah. but, but I met this other girl, <laughs> and she's really nice, you know, so chatting with her. So two weeks later, we're there again, and uh, I'm talking to Cheryl, and I still have no idea who she is. And, and so my friend and I, as we're leaving, he says, so you met Chuck's daughter? And I said, no, I, I didn't meet Chuck's daughter. He goes, y- you, you were talking to her. And I said, oh, my gosh, what? <laughs> he says, that's Chuck's daughter.
0: <laughs> So she kept that secret from oh, me. Wow. Yeah, um, but yes. Yeah, so that uh, that's how we met. There you go. And The rest, as they say, is history. Um, I mean, we'll we'll come back to that because obviously your your story intersects with Chuck on many different levels. Um, but you you got into I guess you sensed a call fairly early on to lead church leadership. Yeah, I, yourself.
1: I yeah I didn't know what that looked like, but I was you know it was one of those things. I, I was kind of a leader just. Naturally, mm. as it went, you know, I had you know groups of friends that I hung out with, and I was usually the person saying, "Hey, let's do this or let's don't do that," or yeah, that's a good idea, or that's a bad idea." So when I came to christ, um it, it was like the Lord kind of took that that leadership gifting and just put it in a new context mm. in the context of you know christian yeah. leadership, so early on i um, first thing I did is I just started a Bible study in my apartment. And uh, we started praying for friends that didn't know Christ, and within about three or four months, we had about fifty people there crammed into our little wow. apartment who had come to faith. So we just <laughs> yeah. targeted people. Yeah, yeah, we yeah. said, "Okay, there's so and so. Let's pray for them." You know, we pray for them for a week, mm, then we go mm. evangelize them, and then <laughs> they would come to faith. So, wow. so started doing things like that. But I, I can't say um you know people ask me how how i got into pastoral ministry i didn't pursue it in one sense Mm. because i didn't feel like it was even a Mm. remote possibility Mm. the only uh, so my history was catholicism right so you got the pope you got the Mm. priest Mm. and then you got chuck smith and (laughs) he's the only pastor i ever knew so i'm not thinking like you know i can be a pastor so that i was more of an evangelist i just thought if i can share the gospel Mm. with people I was managing a surf shop at the time in Huntington yeah. Beach, California, and I just spent my days uh, you know trying to sell surfboards, I yeah. guess, but I was really
0: more trying to <laughs> share the gospel with people. And I mean that did eventually lead to you pastoring yeah. a church um, yeah. in in Southern California, and in the end, actually traveling in a missionary capacity to Eastern Europe as yeah. well. Um, tell us sort of some of those mm-hmm. sorts of adventures that you went on in the eighties, yeah. In the 80s and, uh, <laughs> yeah those, those
1: were those were some great adventures.
0: Yeah. So
1: so what ended up happening? I was, I was working at that surf shop as I mentioned. Uh, Czech knew just from conversation that I had a desire to serve the Lord. Yeah. Uh, and so he had an idea that I didn't have. He contacted me one day at the surf shop and said, hey, I want you to pray about coming and, and, and working here at the church. And I just said, hey, well, what would I do? I don't know what to do. He said, well, I, I want to train you. And let's see. Let's give it some time and see. You know, maybe uh, Maybe you're cut out for this. Maybe you're not so anyway after a little bit of prayer i i decided to go so i was there with chuck and did uh an internship for three years Mm. and at the end of three years i launched out and began to pastor my own church in um the, the northern part of san diego county and and so i was there and during that time um it was the the late 80s, you know, everything in Eastern Europe was beginning to change. The mm. Soviet Union mm. was transitioning out mm. of its uh, yeah. situation COVID-19 there. Yeah. And um, I went on a trip and I met a young couple from what was then Yugoslavia. Uh, they found out I was a pastor. They said, could you come to our village and see if God maybe wants to do something there? So I didn't. <laughs> it sounded like a good idea to yeah, me yeah. at the time. So I decided to go. Uh, we went, to make a long story short, we ended up preaching on the streets of uh, what what is now Serbia, and we led a handful of kids to the Lord. We crossed the border into Hungary. We did the same thing, and I realized, you know, we can't just lead these kids to Christ and then move on. We're going to have to disciple mm. them. So I told them, hey, just hold tight. I'm going to go back home, and we're going to send somebody to help you. So we we did... Two church plants unintentionally, <laughs> <laughs> simply because we led these kids to the Lord. Wow! and follow up,
0: that is the way churches get planted. Sometimes yeah. it's just. Yeah.
1: And so, to fast forward, mm. um, earlier this year, I was in Budapest, and and there, after all these years, we transitioned the Budapest church. There's four, about forty churches in Hungary mm. now. We trans transitioned the budapest church to all hungarian
0: leadership wow
1: so it was an amazing yeah. journey you know with that
0: it's amazing the small seeds from which these yeah. things grow yeah and 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 that's been a story repeated in lots of parts of the world and across the usa obviously yeah. as as individuals have taken it you know yeah. have been felt led to begin yeah. a calvary chapel yeah. um and so on um and, and of course um what I want to come to is talking about your UK stint as well, yes. uh, and we'll do that in the next part of today's programme because uh, you, you you did spend a number of years here yeah. in London and uh, were able to you continue to bless the UK with the Creation Fest as well. Yeah. So we'll talk about that. And we'll talk, of course, about the challenges as well of stepping into some yeah. very big shoes in, <laughs> in the form of Chuck, yes. Chuck Smith. Um, and, uh, uh, and, and so I'm sure we'll, we'll, we'll be good to hear about that as well. You're listening to The Profile with me, Justin Bradley, interviewing Brian Broderson today. Uh, As we've been saying, Brian, senior pastor of Calvary Chapel Costa Mesa in California, the church which really launched the Calvary Chapel network of churches across the USA and the world. We're going to continue to talk about his story here on the show. And don't forget, you can find this as a podcast wherever you get your podcast from or online at premierchristianradio.com forward slash The Profile premier Christianity magazine in this month's issue. We speak with the Archbishop of Canterbury, Justin Welby, about praying in tongues, his vision for evangelism, and how he intends to hold the Anglican communion together. And we ask, should Christians adopt the tidying up trend of Marie Kondo? Plus, discover why we must get better at handling God's gift of prophecy. All this and more in March's issue. For your free copy, visit PremierChristianity.com forward slash free sample. The profile. You're listening to Premier Christian Radio. Welcome back to the second part of today's program. I'm Justin Briley, and I'm joined on the profile today by Brian Broderson, senior pastor of Calvary Chapel Costa Mesa in California. Uh, He's the son-in-law of Chuck Smith, who founded the Calvary Chapel Network, uh, passed away several years ago now. And uh, since then, uh, Brian has been leading the the, uh, Costa Mesa Church in California. Uh, We've heard about Brian's own conversion, about the history of Calvary Chapel and the Jesus People movement it was part of in the 60s and seventies and of course Brian continues to broadcast a daily Bible teaching program back to basics. You can hear it here on Premier Christian Radio and in many other parts of the world and online um, we're going to be talking a little more about um, what it meant to step into the shoes of Chuck, obviously such a big set of shoes to fill um, and some of the challenges that's involved obviously in in the transition phase since then, Brian, but we kind of had got to the part in the story where you'd been in europe you'd yeah. lots of interesting things happening what led you to want to come to london specifically yeah. in the mid 90s yeah 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 that's that's a great question
1: and yes yeah, so I, I from about 90 uh, 1990 um is when we launched into eastern europe and um you know i had had a number of invitations to come and just do a little bit of ministry here in the uk over the years um good friend of mine Malcolm Wild uh, alwyn Wall maybe the, those names go back in uh, the archives of <laughs> British
0: <laughs> the, the uh, these were in a sense the uh, again pioneers of that kind of folk christian yeah. music scene that, right, that was yeah. all part of the jesus yeah. people movement yeah
1: so so we we were good friends Malcolm and I were on staff together at Calvary Chapel Costa Mesa so Malcolm was taking trips over you know mm-hmm. he was coming and doing Ministry here, and I had an invitation a few times to come, and I just didn't really feel, you know, that it was anything that I was to do at the time. Um, I I suddenly just got a sense like I I should go to the UK, and we had I, I think five churches in the country at the time that were you know mm. connected loosely mm. connected with Calvary Chapel, so I I sent out some letters and just said hey thinking about coming over, bringing a handful of people. Is there anything we could do? Come alongside your church, help out. And uh, didn't really get much of a response uh, for a few months. Then finally I got a response from one of the local pastors and it was an interesting thing. His office had caught on fire and all that stuff. Everything had burned up. And, and in the rubble, they found my letter <laughs> you know, a few months later. I explained why nobody responded. And uh, and he read he read it, and then he immediately contacted me, and he said, yeah, I think you should come. It would be nice. And I had no plan at the time to do mm. anything other than it was more like a, a kind of a just an exploration trip yeah. you know just come over and explore see you know we've been doing stuff in other parts of europe yeah. see if there's something here so we came and believe it or not justin i i didn't even come to london except i drove through london and driving through i sensed the lord speak to me and say I want you to start a church here. Now, for me though, that didn't mean start a church like I'm going to move here and start mm. a church. Because what I was doing is I was supporting church planters. Yeah, I had a great church in mm. Southern California. We had good resources, so we were sending people out and then you know supporting these church plants. So in my mind, that's what that meant. Sure. Okay. So so anyway, at the end, we we went up to the north and we did some things. And um, when it was all said and done, I said to a couple of my friends here in the local area, I said, I feel like the Lord wants us to start a church in London. And they they laughed at me. They said, it's impossible. You can't start a church in London. You can't find a building in London. And I said, oh, okay. I didn't realize that. But anyway, this is what I believe the Lord you know, has spoken to me. So to make a long story short, through a series of of different things, we we were able to um, get a school, and we were able to uh, do an outreach. So we did a six-week, I came over for six weeks and just did street ministry and mm-hmm. places mm-hmm. like Leicester Square, mm-hmm. went into schools, Christian unions, and so forth, we did that, and uh, and then just, we, we launched a little church plant. And at the time, I was still pretty much um, looking for the person who was going to do this. Mm. And at the same time, God was beginning to stir my own heart. And uh, so it was while I was here in London, I was staying in uh, in South London at the time. I was st- staying at uh, Stratham Hill. And I woke up one morning about three or four in the morning, and I and I just had this sense that God was saying, I, I want you to come here. Mm. And I was not really having that. You know, <laughs> that that, that <laughs> wasn't part of the plan. It wasn't part of the but, plan. I said, Lord, yeah. look, we got a great thing going back home. Yeah. And let's just find somebody else. But it, it just wouldn't go away, you mm-hmm. know. And I got up. I got up early that morning. I w- I, it was a, you know, I went downstairs. I was in the kitchen. And the next thing you know, my wife shows up there. My wife has, has a real prophetic sort of a gift. And so she comes down. She says, what What are you doing? Why are you awake? And I said, <laughs> I I just can't sleep. And, and she just blurts it out. She goes, the Lord's calling us to move here, isn't he? <laughs> just like... <laughs> Well, I'm glad you said that because you know, <laughs> I was trying to figure out how I was going to tell you uh, that that was happening. So, but then you think, oh, we're just carried away with the moment. Mm. You know, We're just excited about yeah. what we see happening. Yeah. So let's go back home. And actually, she was going to go home, and I was going to stay for a few more weeks. And I said, you know, you'll go home, and the excitement, maybe it'll wear off. Mm. I'll get home, and then we'll be back to normal. And uh, and yet when we got back, nothing changed. You know, we really still had that... Still felt like the right Yeah, thing. just that, yeah. that sense like we were supposed to do it. So we, we just kind of put a fleece out and said, you know, we're going to apply for a visa. And if the Lord gets us a visa, mm. we'll take that as you know his his leading to go but the funny thing was when we came back our church everybody that everybody was talking the lord spoke to us you're leaving you're going no we're not leaving we're not going anywhere we're fine we love it here you
0: know uh but yes in the end
1: the lord was was
0: calling us yeah so it's 1996 that we moved over what were some of the challenges in planting a church effectively from scratch from scratch yeah in in london (laughs) which is not exactly the easiest mission territory to begin a new thing
1: yeah, I mean, it definitely had its challenges. And you know, when you're starting anything from scratch, I mean, you, mm-hmm. I mean, you, the first Sunday we had eight people. Yeah, and you know, and you, th-
0: you've come from a well with Calvary Chapel Costa Mesa. You're, you're getting like thousands every Sunday. <laughs> yes, yeah. it's, it's quite a difference. Yeah, yeah. I came from a church at that time. My church was about three thousand adults. Right. So you know, and here I am with eight people. Yeah, and I'm like, okay, here we go. Here we go. <laughs> <laughs> what are we doing? And it must have taken you back almost to those first Bible studies. It, it you really read. did. Yeah. Yeah.
1: And, and there was something really sweet about it, you yeah. know, because I had, over the years, you know, your church grows, because we started originally with about 30 people where we were and grew to 3,000 over a 10, 12-year period. And, but then there was something that you missed. Yeah. You know, there was that intimacy yeah. and all that kind of just went away with the large church. So it was nice to, yeah. to get back and revisit that. Uh, one of the great blessings was uh, through premier radio we were able to um, have office space literally right across the street from where we were Mm. doing we were Mm -hmm. doing the church in westminster city school and so that helped us out tremendously you know to be able because we Mm. had to set up every Mm. sunday tear down take stuff up the lift put (laughs) put it in the office um but you know they were it was an adventure and it had its challenges you know so maybe the churches now say say let's just say Pretty consistently, 40, 50 people, mm. and you feel like you're you're getting traction. You feel mm. like you're moving mm. forward, and then you show up one Sunday, and there's like twenty people, <laughs> and you think, okay, <laughs> well, what happened here? We're we're going backward, and it, you know it would be like that. Yeah. yeah. And so, um, and then you know, London is such a wonderful city, but you know, you live here. You, after you live here for a while, it's like, okay, w- who cares? W- was there a of
0: kind this? of it? Is part of that kind of coming to grips with the cultural differences that obviously exist between yeah. the West Coast, you know, <laughs> sort yeah. of ambiance and vibe and coming yeah. to London, which, although it's cosmopolitan, still yeah. is essentially British and yeah, it is, yeah. it is rather yeah. different in that. Yeah, and, and I definitely realized that we
1: are, you know, two people separated by a common language. <laughs> you know, I did come to realize that fairly soon. But, you know, Justin, for me, I never really had that really hard uh, adjustment uh, because I just felt like I just kind of fit in Mm. really well Mm. and sometimes maybe too well. It's Mm. like, okay, Mm. maybe I need to be a little more out of the box here. (laughs) <laughs> so we yeah. could uh, as a matter of fact at one time uh we were planting a church in in the west country and i was talking to a friend and i brought a friend over and he was going to be the guy and my friend looked at me and he said this guy's way too american you can't send him here <laughs> he said we need somebody like you i said no somebody like me we're all going to go to sleep here in devon we need somebody <laughs> that's going to wake this place up so um so uh, although there's obviously you know cultural differences between mm. the u.s and here i didn't struggle with that so much i didn't feel that i i felt like i kind of hmm. i i had always been somewhat of an anglophile anyway you know so i kind of jumped right in and just loved
0: it did, did you ever feel frustrated though that the church didn't grow as quickly or as fast as you obviously saw happen back home yeah
1: no i didn't i didn't because in those days honestly it was sort of the days before the big emphasis on the mega church you know so okay. even when my church grew back in california I was as surprised as the next okay. person. It wasn't like I had some big five-year plan w- to yeah. grow it. It wasn't you know? like there was some bar you were seeking yeah. to reach. Yeah, right. and and of course, knowing a little bit about the the churches here in London and the size of mm. most of the churches, I was not expecting it at all. Like right. we were going to have a church of thousands of yeah. people. That thought never crossed my mind. So, um, it, it you know, by the time I left in two thousand, we had about four hundred. Mm. And, you know, I felt that that was a, a pretty good, um, you know, for the four years we were well, there.
0: It was, it, by most standards, that would be seen as extraordinarily successful yeah. here in the UK. And, and yeah. obviously, it's often dependent on your point of view, if you yeah. like, as, as right. it was. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So and, and it continues strong today, the yeah. Calvary yeah. Chapel, West Westminster. Goes, yeah, yeah. Um, and, and was it in that time that you kind of also had the vision for Creation Fest? Or did that come a little yeah. later? In a, in,
1: a, in a sense, yes, because I, I lived out in Twickenham. And um, I, I remember thinking, you know, out there, sort of right across the bridge from Richmond, um, there's these big, wide open spaces. And I thought, man, it would be so great to have like mm. a festival here, mm. you know. And of course, I know there's a festival yeah. culture, there's yeah. festivals everywhere. Uh, so I, I just sort of put it out of my mind, went back to the States. And then my friend Phil Pachonis, who ended up going uh, down to um, North Devon, uh, he knew that that was something that I had in the back of my mind. So one day he said, hey, there's a place here in Wollacombe. There's a valley. I think we could do a festival ride in this valley. <laughs> and I said, you know what? Maybe we could. Yeah. <laughs> so we just, we just went for it. And, yeah. and we did a one-day event, and that was in 2002. And uh, you know, Phil had connections in the you know, Christian music world and stuff. So we were able to compile a pretty good group of bands yeah. to come through. And we just did an evangelistic outreach, much yeah. like the outreach I just did this past weekend in Dundee.
0: Right, yeah, fantastic, and Amen. and and that has gone from strength to strength. Uh, yeah, I, I was able to speak back in 2017 there, and it was great to see yeah. all the different people who turned up for it, and yeah. the music, and all the speakers, and so on. Yeah, and it's I guess it's kind of a, a festival. Kind of gives you an opportunity to reach people who might not normally come yeah. over a church, uh, who who it gives you a different kind of atmosphere yeah. in which to. to so, what have you seen as a fruit, if you like? Because yeah. this has still primarily been supported and resourced by yeah. the the American Calvary Chapel, although yeah. obviously a lot of people from yeah. the UK involved in making it happen. Yeah, yeah. Uh, what's What's been the, the vision for, for for Creation Fest in that sense? Yeah,
1: yeah. You know, it's a free festival, and mm. and that's intentional. Yeah, and it's intentional because we want people to be able to come who. Uh, you know, don't know Christ, don't know anything necessarily about the Christian faith, and who are not going to pay any amount of money to go to a Christian event. So it's like, okay, it's free. So that's one hurdle. And we have found that lots of non Christians either, you know, a family member will come because it's free, or somebody might just be driving by the showground and see, a, you know, free music festival and come in yeah. and actually hear the gospel and receive Christ. So, so you know, we, we present it as a music festival Bible week, but, you know, we have a strong evangelistic mm-hmm. emphasis. So we are we're looking to lead people to Christ
0: and the I'm other sure it's been exciting to see some stories of people yeah, who have become amazing christians amazing stories yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
1: yeah amazing stories and a lot of times you know it's it's like the atheist you know the yeah, people yeah. that are pretty hardcore and sort of anti christ and then they come and they experience something that they did not expect at all it's mm. like wait
0: now this doesn't it's, it's not what yeah it goes against <laughs> their expectations yeah, yeah. exactly yeah
1: and then another thing that's happened as a result of it is sort of unintentionally is it's it's done it's gone a long ways to bring some unity to the churches mm. in Cornwall. Yeah. And so the, the churches in Cornwall are um you know that's that's our base mm. and they pretty much have adopted the festival as you know this is their festival. Mm. Yeah. And over the past few years we've seen much more uh, internal support even financially yeah. coming yeah. and and ultimately we'd like to be free from the yeah. the US uh part so of it because yeah, we've sure. done it for so many yeah, yeah. years you yeah. know yeah. and you do sort of feel like you know it, there needs to be an ownership yeah. here yeah. you know in the country itself
0: well um it's very easy to find it if you're looking for creation fest just uh, go online and type in creation fest you'll find that and also calvary chapel but the the, the kind of the, the most significant thing probably in the last few years with calvary chapel has obviously been with with chuck passing away yeah um that was always going to be a difficult act to follow. Um, was there any sense in which um, you were sort of inevitably bound to, to step into Chuck's place? What was the process for, yeah. for kind of you, you heading up, certainly, the, the Costa Mesa church?
1: Yeah, there, there had been conversations about that, actually, for decades uh, with Chuck. And one, one of the things that just sort of, you know, threw a spanner in the works was when I came to England, because yeah. uh, Chuck was trying to get me to come to work with him in Costa Mesa and and I was open to that but mm. my wife was not right. she did not want to go we you know we had come from there mm. gone down mm. to further in southern california she didn't really want to go back and um and then suddenly we're going to England and Chuck's looking mm. at us like, wait, this isn't part of the plan. And I'm like, I know. I didn't think this was part of the plan either, but we're going nevertheless. So, so we had had uh, conversations about it and we had even sort of made some attempts to move in that direction, mm. but it was premature. Mm. And, and I had said to Chuck at one point, I said, look, because he kept asking me, you know, come up, I wanna train you. I said, look, you know, the best training I could ever get is just keep doing what I'm doing because mm. that's what I'm gonna do when mm. I come there, mm. right? I'm gonna mm. pastor mm. and teach and preach and so forth. Mm. So we came to that understanding. And then what happened, you know, I was here uh, from 96 to 2000. And Chuck, um, even during the, the four years I was here, he would occasionally contact me and say, you know, you need to come back. And mm-hmm. I, mm-hmm. I could sense that most of the time it was because I had... Taken his daughter
0: and his four grandkids hostage to <laughs> <laughs> to London, <laughs> very inconvenient place to take to take your extended <laughs> yes. family. Yeah.
1: So you know, I, I could sense that yeah, it was yeah, more it yeah. was more driven yeah, by that, and yeah. I just thought, you know, I can't, yeah, I can't do that. Mm. Uh, but there did finally come a point where I actually felt, you know, and I'll, t- I'll tell you real quickly, mm. I was, you know, here in London doing everything I was doing with the church, you know, having a bigger vision than just what I was doing with the church here in Westminster, and. And I and I really sensed the Lord say to me, um, the the way to fulfill the vision you have is to go back, uh, because the resources are there that you don't have here, mm. and and so I really sensed at that yeah. point, and then and then I sensed that Chuck genuinely did need help. Yeah. It was no yeah. longer just yeah. I want the family yeah. back; it yeah. was like he needed help. Yeah. So in 2000, uh, I went back, and we we had the plan uh, to do a two to three year transition. Mm-hmm. He was going to you know retire. Mm-hmm. Yeah whatever that would look like go speak at churches mm. teach mm. at bible college and so forth but that stretched out to 13 years <laughs> <laughs> never <laughs> which, quite happened which had its its challenges yeah, sure. you know for sure and then and then of course uh you know chuck uh contracted uh, lung cancer and passed away and uh actually
0: um October 3rd uh 2013 yeah yeah and in a sense obviously once the, the grieving and the, the celebrating of his life had been done, yeah, it left the question, you know, what were you going to be? Um, Chuck Mark II? Yeah. But no one can be Chuck. No. Chuck was an individual, uh, yeah. unique, yeah. and kind of hit what he established was unique. Yeah. And so that always kind of leaves a sure. a big issue for, yeah. for someone who's then stepping in to something, a work established by someone else, yeah, yeah, doesn't yeah. it? Yeah, I'm sure that was quite challenging. Yeah. Yeah, and I'd read
1: enough uh history, church history,
0: (laughs) to know that these things
1: generally don't go that well. Yeah. You know, because Mm -hmm. Chuck was he was like a legend in his own lifetime. You know, I mean he he'll go down in history like a Charles Spurgeon or someone like that. And when you when you look at the guy that immediately followed Spurgeon Mm -hmm. or the guy that immediately followed Lloyd Jones, most people don't even know who they were. Who's
0: that? (laughs) Exactly. Yeah.
1: So, you know, I think the advantage I had, uh, Justin is that I I was confident that God was calling me to do it, mm. not that Chuck was calling me to do it. And as a matter of fact, I was very confident that Chuck would not make me the pastor of the church, and he did not. Um, I was confident that the mm. Lord would. So when he passed away, uh, he left no instruction like, okay, make Brian the pastor right. of the church. It was, it was the decision of the church board, and so they decided
0: there have been some issues, obviously, and yeah. and in 2017, Christianity Today actually published an article titled A Tale of Two Calvary Chapels Behind the Movement Split. That's the way it's been painted. Yeah. Um, do you want to give us your your take on what what's happened to the Calvary Chapel yeah. network which I believe now exists in sort of two yeah. two bodies essentially Yeah yeah
1: so the Cal- the Calvary Global Network that's kind of the new thing that I I'm, mm. I'm leading and then there's the Calvary Chapel Association and I think I think honestly a split is probably too strong of a word okay. because there's uh there there are um plenty of churches who are connected to both bodies Okay and my intention is to just say, that's fine. You know, mm-hmm. I'm not asking anybody to exclusively follow me. You know, for me, it was really more of, um, I think, just vision and, and, and looking at the future where I felt like the group of guys that I was connected with, uh, you know, personally i felt that they were sort of stuck in the past and wanting to and just that's kinda... always the
0: danger when you've you've had something like Calvary yes. chapel where where which has seen such amazing things yeah. happen in the past you yeah. can sometimes end up looking back to the past we've got to yeah. keep doing it the way we yeah. did it then
1: we've got to perpetuate what yeah. we've had and and of course you know uh the, this group of guys they have their interpretation of chuck cool. and who he was and what he wanted to do and i have my interpretation of chuck uh, i think i I was a little closer to him yeah. <laughs> than all of them, uh, not only you know his son-in-law for thirty-plus years, but I I worked alongside of him, you know, for many years as well. So, uh, and you know, Chuck was a guy who I think, when it's all said and done, you recognize he was a guy who tried to be sensitive to what the spirit was doing and not be so bothered by what everybody else was saying, but just go. I mm. think the Lord's telling us to mm. go in this direction. Mm. And, and honestly, that you know, that's what I want yeah. want to do. When I left the U.S. and came to the U.K., that was huge because in the Calvary Chapel family of churches, the way it always went was you started your church, you established it, and basically you stayed there the rest of your life. Yeah. So all yeah. of a sudden I'm kind of breaking the mold by going, mm. oh, hey, adios, <laughs> You yeah, know, yeah, I'm, yeah, I'm yeah, leaving. Yeah. They're saying, wait, you can't do that. Mm. Okay, well, I feel like. So yeah. it seems like it's been that type of thing where the Lord is calling me to sort of, step out of the boat so to speak you know i want to do something Mm. fresh so i I, you know calvary chapel the the that one version of it to me its destiny is a denomination now denominations aren't bad but Mm. i just think that at this time in history why start another denomination where you have to just constantly Mm. be worried about your brand and you have Mm. to protect your Mm. brand and all of that Uh, as you know from us doing stuff together, even at Creation Fest. We work with all different yeah. kinds of mm-hmm. church groups and Christians and, and that's kind of the vision that God's given me.
0: It must've been challenging though, because inevitably these things can get acrimonious and oh, yes. there are such things as internet message boards where people can post things and say things yes. and it, it kind of can get yeah, hurtful, yeah. I'm sure. Yeah, so no. how, how did you deal with that? Because any kind of a split, even when you're trying to do it in the most Christ-like way possible, yeah inevitably, people say things and do things. Yeah, they do.
1: And, and there has been so much uh, misinformation out there. You know, I mean, all, all the time. I, I had one person, I think he summed it up best. He looked at me one day and he said, you know, I've never met you. But uh, what I've concluded from everything I've read is that you are either the devil himself or you're a really godly guy. And I said, well, I hope it's the latter that you have concluded. So, yeah, there, there's been some acrimony uh, out there for sure and again i think for me it just goes back to the conviction that i have that you know this is what god's called me mm-hmm. to do so so i have tried to just um you know I, I think i've tried to be a peacemaker and i've tried to just say okay look i get it i understand that you guys don't really like what i'm doing mm-hmm. but i'm just this is what i think the lord wants mm-hmm. me to do so i'm going to move forward and the stuff that's out there on the internet uh, 99.9% of it isn't true mm-hmm. so i just i don't mm-hmm. let it bother
0: Indeed. me well, that, that, it's, it's good that you can have the kind of broad shoulders that, that allow that to happen. I mean, in terms of you taking forward Calvary Chapel yeah. in, in the way that you have now kind of organized uh, the, the, the global network, um, what, what are your hopes? What, what are you trying to do that's different from perhaps what has mm-hmm. been the past story of Calvary? Yeah.
1: Well, the, the, you know, a net, I like the idea of a network. Mm-hmm. So the association is a much tighter, mm-hmm. um, much narrower Kind mm-hmm. of a connection, and I I, I want to have a bit of a broader connection. So, the 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 global network is is basically two things. For Calvary Chapel guys, it is uh, doctrinally Calvary Chapel, mm-hmm. so they feel comfortable. Mm-hmm. For non-Calvary Chapel guys, it's it's basically broadly evangelical mm-hmm. doctrinally, so they can feel comfortable without feeling any pressure to become Calvary Chapel. Mm-hmm. So if you're pastoring uh, you know, a Baptist church somewhere, but you like the vision, then come on board mm. and be part of the network. You know, If you're pastoring an Anglican mm. church or, or whatever the case, if you like the vision, you can be part of it. Nobody's gonna ask you to put up a Calvary mm. Chapel sign mm. or to change your name or do anything like that. So, so I feel like it's just in keeping with the, the broader vision that mm. God's given me for an evangelical, kind of an ecumenical thing. Now, some people see that as a bad thing. evangelical, ecumenical Mm. type of a thing. Mm. I see it as a good thing. I think in these days we need to rally around the essentials of the faith and stop squabbling over non-essential things.
0: And in your local incarnation now, back in Costa Mesa, um, how do you kind of do in today's world what Chuck was doing back in the 60s mm-hmm. and 70s of, of reaching people where they are. Yeah. In, in, what, what, what are some of the things you're trying to put in place to kind of mm-hmm. see that vision realized for today? Well,
1: you know, we have a, we have a strong emphasis on evangelism still, but we're also, we, we just want people to understand that the doors are wide open, yeah. whoever you are, wherever you're coming from. Mm. That's the way it's always been. Yeah. So, so you, you're welcome, mm-hmm. come in, listen to what we're saying. Uh, We have a strong biblical standard, but we're going to give space for people to, you know, figure things out, and um, and you know, I I, honestly, I'm I'm quite um, happy with the way things are currently going. Do you still get a chance to get down on the beach and do a bit of surfing? (laughs) (laughs) You know, it's so bad. I I I have gotten to the point where. I've been surfing maybe once or twice a year, which is just terrible. It's absolutely terrible.
0: So- You do yourself an injury if you don't keep in shape with it, isn't it? Yeah, so
1: so this year before Creation Fest, I decided, okay, I'm gonna jump out in the water, get a few, because you know, we go to Creation Fest and everybody surfs down there and they're asking me about surfing, so I can't be a hypocrite. I gotta say, (laughs) yes, yes, I surfed last week. So I surfed a few times before the Fest, I surfed a few times after it, and and I'm trying to discipline myself to (laughs) surf once a week. If I could
0: just surf once a week, i would accomplish much wow um thank you so much for the time today brian uh uh, i i I know that mm, from the bio that i saw online from you um that your favorite verse second corinthians 12 9 to 10 and he said to me my grace is sufficient for you for my strength is made perfect in weakness therefore most gladly i will rather boast in my infirmities that the power of christ may rest Mm -hmm. upon me i suppose that's in some ways sums up a lot of what we've been talking about that that through it through does. it all um yeah christ does his work through normal people broken people very often yeah no, nothing's necessarily easy right but god works in the mess he does yeah and will continue to do so yeah it's great to be with you thank you thank you justin <laughs> uh, you've been listening to the profile with me justin Briley, interviewing brian broderson from calvary chapel and if you want more about them do look them up online uh, and indeed, look up Creation Fest as well. Yeah, certainly if you're in the West Country or in that neck of the woods, uh, they do a fantastic festival every year. You can find out more about The Profile uh, if you go online, look for our podcast or go to premierchristianradio.com forward slash The Profile. And don't forget to subscribe to Premier Christianity magazine for more interviews with Christians in all walks of life and faith. You can get a free sample copy of the latest edition at premierchristianity.com slash free sample. Uh, Thanks for being with me on today's show. We'll be back with another guest next week for now. It's time to hand over to hear some of the best bits from the past week here on Premier Christian Radio.